0: This is the second day of this June 2020 four day virtual session. Or I think remote session is a better term for it. It feels real enough when you're sitting hours a day. <clears throat> we'll ret- return to our text from yesterday, it's an anthology. Uh, called The Original Face, and it's a collection of of, uh, selections of uh, Japanese Rinzai Zen teachings. A number of different masters, Rinzai masters. And uh, we'll start this morning with a Zen master, Bunan. And I have a little biographical material here in this book. Uh, the the book is it's translated and edited by Thomas Cleary. In the introduction here, where he or someone uh, provides little thumbnail sketches, biographical sketches of these guys, <clears throat> uh, he says for Bunan, his dates are basically the 17th century, 17th century 1600s. He studied for some thirty years with uh, under the famed national teacher Gudo, and uh, Gudo is considered the true lamp of the generation spanning War and Peace. Back to Bunan Now Bunang was a layman until his forties. That's very unusual among the uh, old. Chinese, Japanese Zen masters. It seems that most of them were ordained as boys or teenagers and grew up in the monasteries and became Zen masters. Here, he was a layman until his 40s, working as a gatekeeper. A gatekeeper, how about that? For an occupation for a Zen master. The future Zen master. And there he would talk to this uh, Gudo, who became his his teacher. He would chat with him, uh, and Gudo would, uh, uh, while Gudo was stopping there himself, coming and going, traveling between East and West Japan. Um, and later, Bunan did become ordained as a monk and uh, an abbot of a small hermitage. And he uh, says here that uh, he became the foremost of Gudo's 24 Dharma successors. Bunan had a few close disciples and a wide range of disciples and acquaintances. He left a great deal of inspiration and guidance in Japanese poetry and booklets in prose and verse. Says here that he was naturally austere and he uh, led his group of monks with just a few simple rules. And here's maybe the most interesting it said that he couldn't even read the Chinese classic texts, so he seems to have been uh, uneducated. Yeah, education uh, is hardly an aid to coming to enlightenment. Uh, Sometimes it could even be an impediment. Some uh, very short selections here by Bunan. This one is uh, pretty potent. He says... It is easy to keep things at a distance. It is hard to be naturally beyond them. The way I read this is uh, it's, it's easy enough to repress our passions, our desires, our cravings. Or to just uh, avoid them, uh, to steer clear of them. Uh, but then it is hard to be beyond them naturally. That is, it is hard to have worked through them and grown, outgrown them. You know, religion, the history of religion, all religions. Uh, is one of where uh, repression uh, plays a, a strong role of just trying to stay between the rails. Uh, in uh, Buddhism, we do have these uh, ethical precepts, uh, and we we try to uphold them, not to be good which is kind of beside the point, but we uphold the precepts. We try to live in accordance with the precepts uh, so we don't cause harm to others. It's not quite the same as being good, being a good person, following the rules. It's, it's uh, in terms of ethics, uh, it's just not wanting to hurt people, even ourselves why we do it. And also uh, in Zen practice, because it is a foundation for um, stronger meditation. It's a foundation of of, uh, insight. So there's practical value to the precepts, to upholding the precepts. Probably we all know well, definitely we all know uh, what it is to face our temptations, whatever they may be food, alcohol, drugs, sex um, and other things <coughs> and maybe um early and early in Zen practice uh, it's especially important to even i mean even suppressing our cravings can have some value, uh, but it's uh we have to go further we have to to really become integrated people then we we have to come to terms with, not just stiff arm our cravings and try to avoid them, uh, but uh, to really grow beyond them. But until then, uh, we can save ourselves a lot of heartache, a lot of misery, uh, by just summoning up the willpower, uh, or the won't power, to steer clear of these, just to, again to avoid causing pain to ourselves and others. I think uh, there was a Raymond Chandler uh, novel um, where he, he pointed to uh, the, the traditional sort of limited religious way of, of dealing with our uh, cravings," he said, in one of his you know detective uh, stories. He said, or the, the 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 narrator says, "It was a blonde, a blonde to make a bishop kick a hole in a stained glass window." Still, it's uh, this approach. Uh, is not without some merit. Uh, Certainly in uh, Buddhist centers all over the world, um, there's been a great deal of suffering caused by teachers who uh, imagined that they were beyond the precepts and uh, who left a, a trail of misery behind them. So it's, 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 it's good to, to force oneself to not, uh, violate the precepts. It's good as far as it goes. It just doesn't go that far. So in Zen practice, we do face our passions. We can't avoid them, uh, over time, if we sit long enough—enough enough years, especially in sashin—they'll um, come up. Whatever the whatever the craving is. And then the next uh, little selection by Bunan is uh, not unrelated to the first one. He says, while deluded, one is used by this body. When enlightened, one uses this body. Well, <coughs> we can... Uh, we can well understand the first part while deluded one is used by this body again, the cravings the the blind passions for the usual the usual ones the uh, the usual suspects for food sex sleep, but also uh, we can understand uh, the the the, the way the the body gets the better of us in terms of our anxiety or fear anxiety has so many forms Uh, to be to be human probably you could say is to have anxiety at some level uh, maybe until full enlightenment. In fact, anxiety is a way to understand the uh, the first of the Four Noble Truths, Dukkha. Dukkha is usually translated in the old text as uh, suffering or dissatisfaction. Well, another way, maybe for us as contemporary people, modern people, to appreciate it is, is anxiety or stress, stress. No matter how much we try to avoid stress, uh, it'll find us somehow, if even just in the smallest ways, things that chafe at us. Anxiety, fear. Who is free of fear? Always, in all circumstances. Anger. It's another way the body can get the better of us. It just comes unbidden. Something provokes us. Someone provokes us. There it is and anger always is uh, starts in the body it's a physical it's a physiological reaction to f- a feeling of something as a stress and then then the second part of bonan statement when enlightened one uses this body well what what springs to mind uh, with the anger is uh we can we come to notice through physiological reactions when anger is starting up in us and uh and then once we do notice this then we have a choice do we just blindly react to the perceived threat or can we find a little bit of daylight between the stimulus and the reaction? A little space there, it doesn't take much. Half a second, uh, I think I read somewhere, a third of a second, where we can just get a little distance and then in that distance is some freedom. That detachment The detachment comes from noticing, being able to step back and notice that you're starting to get angry. And then there's a choice. There's a little bit of freedom. Are we just going to react to the person or the situation? Or can we maintain a little bit of detachment and see the bigger picture? Okay, I'm getting angry here. I'm getting angry here. I've got some choice in how I respond. Another way that the body can we can be uh, used by the body in in a problematic way is uh, through moods, m- swings of mood like depression. Uh, depression and elation. They're just two sides of one coin. We come to notice it as it's coming on. We become familiar with it. It's all. It's all in the noticing. Noticing things. Awareness. And then we can remind ourselves that uh, it will pass all emotional states pass all mind states pass thoughts pass what doesn't pass? what is there that could possibly not move on out? and this can help Be to remind oneself alright this is a dark state I'm in now ugh I feel so terrible when is this ever going to end whoa, 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 wait yes it will end of course it's very hard when you're in that state in the case of, of depression it's very hard to get any distance from it it seems so real so very real and it is. And in a way, it's real. There's the feeling of of uh, darkness, of discouragement, of despair. That is real in its own way. But it's not real in the sense of something that we're stuck with forever. In Sashin, uh, we move through these states... More swiftly uh, than outside seshin, and so we we have a, a better chance of seeing the transcendency of these things, how transitory they are. And uh, the more the more seriously we apply ourselves to our zazen, uh, the, the the more swiftly these things will move on. Uh, Here's another one. Bunan was asked about the supreme vehicle. He said, To let the body be free and not to cling to anything. For this reason it is a great matter. Thus it is a rare thing in this age. Not to cling to anything. There are different ways to sum up what Zen practice is. Um, And this is one, not clinging to any state of mind or body-mind, any body-mind state. Not clinging. What does cling mean? It means to think about oneself having it. Or somehow to be bound to the state by thoughts. He continues, whether man or woman, you should first make them see reality, as he seems to be addressing a teacher, first to make them see reality and have them sit in meditation for that. When their seeing of reality is complete, then you should teach them to respond to any event. <clears throat> well, uh, got a question? The translation here
1: uh, with zazen.
0: With if, if a student is doing zazen, then you don't really need to teach them. It's the it's it's the practice. It's the the doing of the, of the zazen, and that is the teaching that's the teaching. It's not, it's not instruction. Uh, maybe sometimes it can be. I guess I was just sort of doing that when I was saying, remind yourself that it'll pass. But, but mostly it comes of itself, how to learn lo- how to respond to an event. But first, he said, first, have them see reality. In other words, awaken. Awaken to your true nature. And have them sit in meditation for that. Now, well, that's the ultimate promise of Zazen, is seeing through this world of form and appearances, skipping a couple of paragraphs here, Uh, and then he says, you should always act with kindness and compassion. People think that kindness and compassion mean doing things, but actually giving people things is the foremost kindness and compassion. Giving people things is the foremost kindness and compassion, and by that he just certainly doesn't mean just giving people material things, although that there's a place for that. If someone is in uh, hungry or uh, otherwise just in need of the most basic survival things, then that that is compassion, giving them things. I think a, a, a level up from that is giving your time. To people, giving your time to people, taking the time to be with people and to, to really be with them, to listen to them. That's a, that's a very high level of giving is listening. But the ultimate giving, without a doubt, the ultimate giving, is Zazen itself. That is, giving to the universe, giving to all beings equally. In Zazen, giving really means giving up our thoughts. Giving up is the highest giving. And giving up thoughts is the highest kind of giving up. And then he just puts an exclamation mark here. And he says, when you do things which are unpleasant and painful to others, even if you have a mountain of treasure it will eventually be ruined. There is no doubt about this. He could be meaning a mountain of of, uh, literal treasure, even if you're enormously affluent. If you do things which are unpleasant and painful to others, it'll eventually be ruined. Well, I suppose this is what a lot of people hope for uh, when they see uh, evil rich people is that they'll get their due. Well, having faith in causation, karma, uh, is just that. That even if in this lifetime they die with all their treasure, if they're causing suffering to people then it's just a matter of time before it catches up to them. The name Jeffrey Epstein springs to mind. He continues, Fire is something that burns... Water is something that wets. A Buddha is someone who practices compassion. Yeah, simple, profound. A Buddha means an enlightened person. If if an enlightened person does not practice compassion, then they're not enlightened. The two go together. A traditional Buddhist altar from India or China would have at the center, the throne at the center would have the Buddha. Uh, And then on one side was Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of wisdom. And at his other side, the left side, would be Samantabhadra, the Bodhisattva of action. Action meaning, in this case, skillful action. Skillful action, meaning compassion. Uh, compassion then acquired its own, its own name, uh, embodiment in in Kanon, Guanyin, Valakadeshvara, but that's really what skillful means. Uh, comes down to is being compassionate. He continues teaching people to be kind and compassionate to others. Means imitating the Buddha. If you just practice compassion, you will certainly become good. This is a, even, even, he was, he's suggesting, even if one is not a thoroughly pure, truly compassionate person, uh, right down to the marrow of your bones, still. Practicing it will enable you to become to grow into it in uh, in East Asia there is this um, faith in Imitating a person of wisdom and compassion. Um, and, and even in the arts, uh, to find uh, a master and imitate the master uh, is a way of, yes, growing into it. So, for example, I'm told that in, uh, when you're studying calligraphy, they will, they will start you by laying down uh, the the calligraphy of of real masters and then you're told to lay a piece of tracing paper on top and just follow the strokes underneath the tracing paper, follow the strokes of the master. And if you do it enough, you get it into your body. (coughs) Does that sound so hard to believe? in our In our Western culture, we're more apt to say, "Oh, why imitate anyone be be yourself, <laughs> whatever that means, just be yourself, be an individual, do it your way. Well, that's one way, but this other way to model oneself after someone is a way to grow into into that that quality, that value. He continues, the basis of compassion is purity of the mind. Purity of the mind is quote, not a single thing. Not a single thing means nothing at all. It is beyond the reach of speech, beyond affirmation and negation. You could say beyond right and wrong, beyond this or that. If there is any affirmation or negation in your heart, your heart will be obstructed by that affirmation and negation. That is that is concepts of this or that, yes or no, if there is no affirmation or negation, then heaven and earth are one. If there is something, it separates you from heaven. This you should well understand. He continues, since you will surely eventually die, you should set your mind diligently on the way of enlightenment. There is no enlightened Buddha outside your own heart. Heart meaning your mind, your true mind. Always keep a pure and clean mind and heart. When thoughts of your own body come up, as long as such thoughts are always there, This life lasts but a little while, and you will fall into a hell and suffer forever and ever. But even leaving that aside, in this life you will suffer in many ways. That is so long, uh, as um, you're plagued by um, harmful thoughts. That's in Buddhism. That's hell. It's one's own mind. Potentially one's own mind. It's not some place you go to and stay in for all eternity. We create our hells. We create our hells and our interpersonal relationships in all kinds of ways. The hell of self and other, us and them. These, uh, these old images of hell with the devil and the flames and devil with his pitchfork and all that. It's just child stuff. Right, uh, I think we've, we've. This is long enough. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.
1: All <coughs> oh, beings without number, I vow to liberate.